I do on this, and, um, you know, I, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff over this, uh, this past year since last fall. Um, you know, I talked about taking our love and our, our, our honor to God, our honor to one another, creativity, our attitude, taking all those things to the next level. And then since January, I've been talking about doing this collectively as a church, taking the church to the next level. And we, uh, you know, we talked about the big lie, which is a separation of church and state, right? Huge, huge lie that's perpetrated in our nation and what that means. Uh, we talked about, you know, not forsaking the ga- our gatherings together of ourselves and how that word means being, you know, left out, cast down, and behind. We don't want to be doing that. We talked about the power of parakaleo, right? Coming alongside someone and speaking encouragement into their life. Uh, you know, we just talked about so many things. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about, you know, making sure that, you know, you, your heart tells your treasure where to go, right? And uh, how important that is. Uh, that if our heart is in something, then, then that's how we dictate to our treasure. So that it doesn't run us, we end up running it and having authority over it. Well, this morning... I want to conclude the series, and I want to talk about uh, opportunity. I want to talk about opportunity. And, and you know, at the height of the Brownsville revival uh, a number of years ago, I decided to go on their webpage, and I decided to, you know, read up about what was happening in the midst of Brownsville. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what I... <laughs> on the back of the Apple TV thing, did you uh, adjust the cable there? I was there and then I was gone. Mm-hmm. There we go. Now we've got a blank screen. Everybody say blank. And then we had a flicker and another flicker. Hey, there we go. Look at that. Okay. All right. So this is what I found on their webpage. It said this. It said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And I never got any further on the webpage. I just, that jumped up off the page, and I was like, wow, that is such a, a, an awesome statement. I mean, I don't know that it's all that profound, but it was certainly true, and it certainly impacted me as, as I read that, and I thought, that is a wonderfully, wonderfully powerful statement. And, uh, and it speaks so much to um, the, the view that we have of opportunity and seeing opportunity the way God sees opportunity. And uh, uh, I think that many times we, we miss what God has for us because we don't understand that an opportunity has come to us and we allowed it to pass us by for a number of reasons that we may look at here this morning. But I want today to talk to you about how important it is to pick up the opportunity to serve the kingdom of God, that God has placed before everyone in here opportunity to serve, and we need to capitalize on those opportunities. If every person in the body of Christ capitalizes on the opportunities to serve, then the body of Christ will grow exponentially. I promise you. I promise you. That is what will happen. And uh, so that's what I want to talk about this morning. First of all, let's, let's talk about this desire that everybody has uh, for a ministry. Pretty much everybody I make says will come to me at some point in their life if they're passionate for the Lord and say, you know, I just want to... I just want to have a ministry pastor. I want to have something that, you know, God's called me to do. And the, uh, the question might say, you know, do you know what my calling is? Or do you know what my gifting is? Or, but that's all really, the, you know, a way of saying the same thing. What is, what's my ministry, you know? And I hear people ask me that type of question all the time. 
And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Uh, the whole purpose of our calling as uh, leaders in the church is to equip you to do your calling, right? You know, Ephesians 4.11 gives the five administrative gifts of the church, and it says, and they're all there to help equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? So uh, obviously there's nothing wrong with you coming and asking that question. Nothing wrong with it at all. But I've also discovered as people come and ask me that question that there are three types of people that are asking that question. The first group, uh, and this is the majority, are, are simply servants of God, people who want to know how it is that I'm supposed to use what God's given me so I can serve him. And that's lovely. And we praise the Lord for that. And that would be the vast majority of people. But there are some that come, and I ha couldn't find another word that starts with S, so I just made this one up. But they're, they're selfers, all right? And you're like, selfers? Yes, it's a made-up word. I don't think it's in the dictionary. But what is a selfer? It's somebody who's coming to you and asking that question because they have a selfish motivation. Um, and you might say, oh, you mean they're, they're like uh, some kind of a uh, plotting, uh, subversive person? No, 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 no. They just don't realize that the reason they want to have a ministry is because they have a need to be needed. Yeah. Right? And they think that if I have uh, this ministry, it will fill this void in my heart to be needed by other people. And so they come from a kind of an unhealthy perspective looking for an outlet because they have this deep need to be needed. And, uh, and sometimes it's very hard to detect that operating in your life, but it's there. And, uh, and if you want to know how to detect it, then ask yourself how you feel when you serve and nobody notices. Right? When you serve and you do something and nobody says, oh, that was excellent. Thank you for doing that. You go home and go, nobody appreciates me. Then you may be doing it, not just as a servant, but you might actually be doing it because you have a need to be needed. Hello? And, uh, I mean, everybody has an innate need to be used in some way in life. But the unhealthy thing is if you get your identity from other people's attaboys, right? If you are surviving on the attaboy, the pat on the back, then you're going to be in trouble. And that is somebody who's a selfer. And we have to find our identity in Christ whom we serve and not in getting those accolades or those congratulations from man. And the, the final, this is a very small group, but there are some people who are stars right? They're servants, they're selfers, and they're stars. And it's, of course, who are the stars? This is the, the worst kind, but I've met a few of them. And there's somebody who wants a ministry because they either want power or they want, uh, you know, um, some kind of a public recognition amongst other people, or they want some kind of a, a title, right? These are the people that it's really unhealthy. And I've met a few of them. I remember when I first came to uh, Belleville years ago as a youth pastor at Calvary Temple, and I've told the story before, but one of the young men came up to me, and he just said, I'm, I'm called to preach. And uh, he says, so I just want you to know, first week I've been there, first week, he says, I just want you to know, if you need any help at all, you know, if you're sick, if you're out of town, you need someone to preach, I'm, I'm your man. I said, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. I'll keep that in mind. And, uh, and he goes, no, I'm, I'm serious. I said, well, so am I. I said, in fact, I can use you this, this week. And he goes, really? You could use me this week? He goes, I just want you to know I'm ready, Pastor. I'm ready. And I said, yeah, I could use you. And I said, can you show up around uh, 6 o'clock? And he goes, well, youth doesn't start until 7. That's pretty early. I said, well, yeah, but I need you to help set up chairs. And uh, he said, I don't think you understood me. I don't set up chairs. I, I preach. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? I said, because you see, in God's economy, if you don't set up chairs, you don't preach. What? I said, that's just the way it works. If you don't set up chairs, you don't preach. I have set up a lot of chairs in my life. 
I would hazard to say I've probably set up chairs with the best of them. I have set up chairs in this auditorium and tore them down so many times I probably have a degree in it. I'm very good at lining the rows up and squaring them back and everything else. I know how to grab a whole row of chairs, push it forward, and then pull on it so they, they go all straight. And then you go, oh, you look at that and say, that looks right. I know how to get these things lined up all the way down. And I noticed this morning they're a little out, but all the way down so they're nice and straight to the door. Why? Because I've set up a lot of chairs. And when you set up chairs, then you demonstrate the heart of a servant and God can trust you with other things. Am I making any sense to anybody this morning? All right. So, so yeah, there are, there are some people uh, who may have some ulterior motives. But I think the vast majority of people want to just know, you know, how can I, how can I help? Um, so I want a ministry. Okay. So let's understand that ministry, all ministry, simply begins with an opportunity. It's not complicated. Everybody say, it's simple. It is. It's incredibly simple. It just starts with an opportunity. It, uh, it doesn't start with a Macedonian call where you're the Apostle Paul and you're laying on your bed at night and you're heading in one direction and all of a sudden the Lord speaks and says, Paul, go to Macedonia. Most people don't have those, all right? That's not necessary, right? I'm telling you right now that, uh, you know, almost all ministry just simply starts as an opportunity, right? You might be sitting there and you hear that they need help in the nursery. They need help, uh, you know, with uh, ushering. They need help with uh, greeting. They need help with uh, at the, uh, uh, you know, uh, Grace Inn when, when it opens up. They need help at the, you know, downtown at nightlight. They need help, uh, you know, the Salvation Army Christmas campaign. They need help uh, in nursery. They just need help. You hear about an opportunity, and which opportunities, by the way, is another way to express a need, right? And so hear about an opportunity, hear about a need, that's where ministry begins. It begins with an opportunity. It's not any more complicated than that. And uh, any situation that provides you with a chance to give yourself away is an opportunity for ministry. That's easy, isn't it? Any situation that provides you with a chance to give yourself away is an opportunity for ministry. Somebody say amen. I remember Francis Frangipane, he told the story of a person who attended his church, and she came to him and she exclaimed that she appreciated the facilities and the care that was given to the cleanliness there. Uh, good so far, he thought. You know, this new person's telling me that. Then she went on to explain that she had left her last church because the nursery was so dirty and poorly attended. Francis asked her if she'd ever spoke to the pastor about this need. And she said, oh, I've complained to him several times. To which Francis replied, I meant, did you ever speak to him about how you could help solve the problem? She said, uh, no. Then he said, well, go back to that church and serve the congregation of the pastor by cleaning and lovingly pouring yourself into that nursery ministry. And then after you've done that, and the Lord says you've done it to his pleasure and to his satisfaction, if then the Lord allows you to go to another church, you can. I don't think that was the answer she was looking for. But that is the heart of God. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. She had passed up on an opportunity to serve. She saw a need. She was able to tell the pastor in very great detail how great the need was. I remember Bruce Switzer in our first home group that we had at Desert Stream. He used to say really simply this all the time. He said, the need is the call. That's what he would say all the time. 
Old Bruce would just look at you and say, the need is the call. The need is the call. And then he'd lick his lips. The need is the call, Kevin. The need is the call. If you know Bruce, you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's how he would uh, operate. And, and you know, he's right. Many times that's all it is. Just the need is the call. You know, you're, you're, you're looking for some great ministry and God's put ministry all around you. There's a need. Step in and fill it. You might say to yourself, yeah, but you don't understand. I have these amazing talents. <sighs> I'm called as a worship diva. <laughs> I didn't say you, dear. I'm, just, I'm using the word again, but it's, it's totally unrelated, okay? So, and, uh, and so they say, you know, I'm meant to be like Darlene Check and wear the long jackets that come down here at the back, you know, and, and, and stand up there at, with a nice Australian accent and lead worship. That's who I am, right? And, uh, and so, therefore, I can't serve in the nursery or I can't serve in any other capacity because it might cause me to not have my opportunity to grow as a worship diva. See, Second interject. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I just wanted to point out this morning that Betty Ann, who is an awesome worship leader, you need to know that Betty Ann serves in the nursery and has served in children's ministry, not necessarily all the years she's been here, but she has volunteered a tremendous amount. So this is not somebody who just wants to stand there. This is, this is somebody who just loves to worship, loves God, and uh, does an awesome job at serving Amen. all capacities. And I just wanted to, for the record, after my uh, use of the word diva last week, and got a little rebuke for it when I got home, uh, that we do not have any worship divas on the platform. I just want you to know that they're all faithful servants of God. But I just wanted to be clear about that. Yes, I'm being clear. <laughs> and uh, I just want to be clear about that. Um, so this is not aimed at anybody who's serving in our house right now. I just want you to know that. Uh, I was just using that as an illustration. Um, but the point that I'm getting at is that many times we are attracted to that public ministry and we're not willing to serve at something that nobody necessarily sees. And yet that need's been glaring us in the face for months, maybe years, and it gets neglected. And uh, because, well, after all, that's not what I'm called to. You are called to serve. And if you have the opportunity and the means, then do it. You don't need to wait for some uh, glamorous opportunity to open up. In fact, I'll tell you right now that the glamorous so-called opportunities will open up when you have given your heart to the simple opportunities. Amen? Hallelujah. And so, um, we need to be people who understand that ministry is just an opportunity meeting a need. Uh, the second thing we have to understand about ministry is it's also about responsibility and accountability. So, ministry begins when we uh, see a need or we see an opportunity, right? And we, and we step into it. But ministry grows when we accept responsibility for that opportunity, it grows when we take on the responsibility for it. So we don't just step in and we serve, but then we recognize that maybe it needs organization. Maybe you look at that nursery and say it's, it's, it's got not enough supplies in it, or it needs this or it needs that. And all of a sudden, you don't just go and, and, and do your 40 minutes on Sunday morning or whatever, but you take responsibility for it. 
You say, I'm going to come in early and clean the room. I'm going to come early and I'm going to make sure every, all the supplies are there. I'm going to get a hold of the pastor and say, is there anything else I can do to help make this ministry more effective? I'm going to work with the parents. I'm going to write them letters and let them know what a blessing their child is, what a gift of God they are. Uh, when we start taking this thing on as a responsibility, now it goes to a whole new level. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You see, when we move past just serving and we take responsibility for it, now we really have ministry. Now we really have ministry. Responsibility is way different than just saying, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. Because many people have said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. But in their heart, they're still not doing it, right? But when we take responsibility for it, now we're really doing it. Now we're really accomplishing ministry. Hallelujah. And, you know, in some of the greatest ministries in the world uh, happened because somebody was willing to take responsibility, do more than just say, okay, I'll, I'll help out. You know, do you know, you guys know the history of Sunday school? Many churches, they have the Sunday school. Uh, but, you know, actually how Sunday school started is Robert, Robert Rakes in, in England, he was so concerned about all the orphans that were working in factories and who, uh, child labor, there were no laws about it at the time. And he was deeply concerned about all of these children that were not growing up to know how to read or to write because they had been uh, absconded and thrown into a factory to work. And he was deeply concerned about this. And uh, so rather than just take one child under his wing and say, I'll help this child, he took responsibility for the situation. And he began to run a, a school to teach these kids to learn to read and to write. And the only day off they had was Sunday, so he started Sunday school. And the book that he used, this textbook, was the Bible. And he, it wasn't something the church did to educate church kids. It was something that they did to educate the poorest of the poor living in the streets of London. And he began to, to take on that responsibility for those children to have a future. And he poured his life into it. He saw a need, and then he took responsibility for it. Amen? And a whole ministry was born. Praise the Lord. So we have to understand that hand-in-hand hand with accepting responsibility, though, is the next level, a thing called accountability. So we answer the need, and we take responsibility, once we've taken responsibility for something, though, now we need to step into accountability. And you say, oh, why do we need that? And what's the difference? <clears throat> well, responsibility is you taking that need into your heart, and accountability is you anchoring your heart to others. Okay? So responsibility is you taking the need into your heart, but now accountability is you anchoring your heart to other people, people that you will be accountable to for that ministry. Remaining uh, accountable provides protection from the destruction of stress. Protection from the destruction of stress. Everybody say stress. stress. How many have ever been stressed out before? Right? And if you have an someone you're accountable to for your ministry, it protects you against stress. Because you have somebody you can go to and who can help you navigate the difficulties of that ministry, the challenges of your time. They can uh, help you work through all of that. You need that. We all need that. There's nobody who's beyond that. And when you don't have it, you get in trouble. So you need that. The second reason we need accountability is it protects you from something even more dangerous. It protects you from yourself. It protects you from this thing called ego. Because as your ministry grows and as your, your work becomes more successful and you've had more than a few people say, that was really good. If you have people you're accountable to, then it keeps your head from swelling right? It keeps you grounded. It keeps you on earth. This is so important. I have people in my life that help me keep grounded. 
Because, you know, it's easy when you are preaching and someone comes up and says, man, that was really good, that changed my life or whatever, for you to become thinking that it was because of you. And it's not, it's because of the Lord. I mean, you've worked hard, and that's, and that's not taking anything away from what you've done, but you have to understand that God is the one who equips and calls and, and who uh, anoints by His Holy Spirit. And it's particularly difficult in, when you travel to other countries, because when you travel to other countries, they, they treat you like you're royalty. Nicaraguans are really bad for this. They love you so much. It is just ridiculous there. I mean, I, from the minute I get off the plane, people are just loving me and, want, and pouring into me and, and, uh, and carrying my, my suitcase or my, my computer bag and, and, uh, and listening to everything you say. If only my wife and children listen to me like that. It's phenomenal. Am I in trouble again, dear? <laughs> Sorry, if only my home congregation listened to me like that. It was, you know... <laughs> and it's very easy for you to think, as Barry used to say, it's really easy to think that you're all that in a bag of chips, right? Or as I like to say, you start believing your own press, right? And, uh, and the reality is, having somebody traveling with uh, Ken, Ken helps keep me grounded. And, uh, you know, Ken's able to, 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 you know, ask those hard questions and and to, you know, even in the midst of the situation, to have somebody you're accountable to who's helping to guide those waters for you and speak into your life helps you to stay a person who's well-grounded and whose ego keeps in check. Because you realize, as the Scripture says, but by the grace of God, there go I, there, 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 or any other time. You know, there's no person on earth who has sinned so greatly that they cannot be reached by His grace. And there is no person who is so great that they cannot be tempted by sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we need accountability people to keep us with our feet on the ground. Because anybody, any, say anybody, anybody can be taken out at any time if we don't walk in accountability. Anybody. Anybody. All right, let me move on because I'm out of time. Why is accountability necessary? Without it, like I said, as the ministry grows, so grows your stress and your ego. True servanthood, then, is this. It's opportunity, responsibility, and accountability. Everybody say this. True servanthood is opportunity, responsibility, and accountability. Does that sound right? Okay. Let me... Uh, let me see, I've got to wrap this up here. <clears throat> I found this poem a few years ago. thought I'd read it for you this morning. And it says, You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. You know, when I read that, I thought, that is an incredible, poignant question. How would we respond if that was what God called us to? How would we respond if that was our ministry? Would we be okay with that? Well, we might be okay with it if everybody knew, if that woman's family knew, and if 
The church knew what a humble and wonderful person I was. But for nobody to know, only Jesus. Everybody say, only Jesus. Jesus. You know, many of the things, if we truly are a servant of God, many of the things that we do, only Jesus will know. And that's enough. And that's enough. Now I want to talk about this last point here, this thing called anointing. It gets us in a lot of trouble. Anointing gets us in trouble? Yes, it does. Because we're impressed with anointing. Come on, admit it. It's true, we are. If we weren't, if we weren't impressed with anointing, there wouldn't be a single TV evangelist on television in the world. That's not a a diss on TV evangelists. There's many of them that I love and many of them that I've listened to and followed and appreciate their, their ministry, but they stay on the air because people get enamored with their gift. It's just plain and simple. Just plain and simple. I know people that'll travel to conferences, buy tapes, read the books, uh, you know, of renowned individuals, but wouldn't heed their local pastor's counsel no matter what he said or she said. And yet that local pastor knows your need and your situation and knows you way better than the book, the tape, or the sermon you hear on television. Just saying. You know, we are... uh, Gripped with anointing, with anointing teaching, preaching, prophesying, leadership. I mean, we get enamored with it. When was the last time we attended a seminar? Listen to this. When was the last time we even heard of a seminar that was put on? And the seminar was about learning how to serve. Come to our Desert Stream Conference, learn how to serve. There'd be three people at it. I'm just trying to be honest with you here. Be hard to, it would be hard to build that. Really difficult to build that one. Uh, you know, maybe if you're the really exceptional servant, it gets the media's attention, like the Mother Teresa's of the world, the Mark Buntains. But for the most part, we ignore servants, but we love anointing. We love anointing. Now, you might be saying, is that all that bad? Is it all that bad that we uh, love anointing? I mean, we turn to the scripture, we look at, we look at Elisha, and he, he wanted the anointing that Elijah walked in, right? And, uh, and when Elijah was taken up, uh, the only thing he asked Elijah for was what? a double portion of your anointing. And I've heard guys preach that story and talk about the anointing and how important the anointing is and how we need the anointing and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, and so you look at it and say, well, anointing can't be that bad a thing. Well, perhaps not. But I want you to understand there's two revelations I got about anointing. First of all, Elisha was a servant to Elijah before he received his anointing. He served him for years. He followed the guy wherever he went. He served him. He carried his bags. He 
watered down the mule. I mean, he just did everything that he could possibly do. He didn't preach and teach. All he did was serve the prophet. So Elijah was a servant first. Elisha, I should say, was a servant first. And Elisha was qualified for the anointing because... Microphone's falling off here. He was qualified because of his service. Because of his service. And in fact, Elijah implied that in order to secure that anointing, he was going to require further service of him. Isn't it interesting that when he said, asked him what he wanted, he said, all I want is a double portion. And then Elijah said, well, if you're with me when I'm taken, it'll be yours. And then he did everything he could to keep him away. You remember the story? I'm going here, you stay here. No, I'm not leaving, I'm coming after you. And he followed me, he kept watering down the mule, and he kept, you know, all the rest of it. He just kept serving and following. No, 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 I'm coming with you to Dotham, I'm going to go here, I'm going to, I'm not going to stop serving, because then I know it's only through service that the anointing is going to come. Are you hearing me this morning? Whew, even when the prophet tried to throw roadblocks in his path, he said, no, get that roadblock out of the way. I'm following and I'm serving until the anointing comes. Praise the Lord. The other revelation I got about anointing is that we have, if we want to walk in an anointing, we need to answer Jesus' most powerful question in all of Scripture. Jesus' toughest question in all of Scripture. And uh, it's, a, it's a zinger. Everybody say zinger. The most difficult question. Matthew chapter 10. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, and they said, Teacher, Teacher, we want to do to you for whatever we ask. We want you, I should say, to do for us whatever we ask. And then Jesus said, that's a bold question, by the way. We just want you to do for us whatever we ask. We've been faithful, Jesus. We followed you everywhere. We just, want, we just want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? Listen to what they said. They replied, well, let one of us sit at your right and one at your left in your glory. They wanted to be divas, right? <laughs> One at the right and one at the left, Jesus. That's what we want. That's all we want, just one at the right and one at the left. And Jesus said, you guys don't know what you're asking. And then he asked the most difficult question, I think, in Scripture. He said, can you drink from the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? You know, Barry will say that with every level, there's a new devil, right? There's another devil. In other words, folks, the... Uh, the more anointing we walk in, the, the more God positions us for ministry, the bigger the bullseye gets on your back, the bigger the opportunity there is for you to fall. We were discussing the other day about, you know, ministers and stuff that have fallen, and, and we were, we, Mark and I were talking, we said, why does it always seem like the, the, the big names are the ones that, that, you know, get attacked? But, you know, in reality, they don't get attacked, I don't think, all that much more than those that are regular in the ministry. It's just we hear about it because when they're up there, you hear about it. When it's a, you know, somebody local, you don't hear about it as much. Or at least it's only heard in the town that it happened in. Uh, it's not known across the nation. You know, they don't have a, a publication where they publish all the ministers that have fallen across Canada and the United States in the last year. Praise God for that. Do you know what I'm saying? And uh, so, anyway, Jesus was asking a very powerful question. Are you able to suffer for my kingdom? Are you able to endure the hardship that I endured? Are you able to lay your life down? for this thing? You know, we have to understand that anointing is very real. And the anointing is something that we should desire to have operating in our life. 
And that the anointing, in many ways, is simply the manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ in our life. But, but, we have to recognize that the anointing, the anointing comes to us because we serve and because we're willing to sacrifice and lay down our life for the sake of the kingdom of God. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to answer Jesus' most difficult question? Could you drink from this cup? And what cup was Jesus referring to? He was about to go to the cross. Can you drink from this cup that I'm about to drink? Just stay with me this morning where a lot of people think and they come up with a conclusion in their mind that, that the church doesn't need them, that there's no place for them to serve. Nothing could be further from the truth. The church needs everybody. That's why I said, how do I sum this up, Lord? And then I wrote this. I said, the church does not lack opportunity. It lacks people willing to seize the opportunity during the lifetime of the opportunity and serve. People are willing to just notice that there is a need here, and I'm willing to step into it. And I'm willing to step into it until, Jesus, until it is so self-sufficient it doesn't need me anymore, or until somebody brings somebody who's better at it than I am, and then I can be released to do something else. It's as simple as that. You don't have to ask God for uh, some kind of a, you know, flashing light in the sky, a dream in the middle of the night where you're woken in the middle of the night, and you say, oh, ne- oh, I'm supposed to work in the nursery because last night I had a dream where I was holding a baby, and everybody was telling me I was doing a good job. So I know that that means I'm supposed to work in the nursery. You don't need that dream. When they say, we need workers in this area, there's your opportunity. Now, you'll require a police check and all kinds of other things for it to serve here because we do follow the rules of the land. But are you hearing me this morning? Opportunities abound in the body of Christ. You know, we have a custodian to clean the church. The reason we have a custodian to clean the church is because we couldn't find enough volunteers to be willing to come in and clean the church. And every time we, you know, have a need, people want, you know, hire more staff. And we'd be happy to do that, except that in order to do that, you know, you need people to be giving. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you need the finances to be able to do that kind of thing. And, uh, and that's just another way you can serve. We'd be happy to do that. We're, but we just, you know, either way you slice it, we need people to serve. And, uh, and the body of Christ advances because people lay down their life. It's as simple as that. Amen. And uh, I don't know who this is for in particular this morning, but I believe it's for everybody. It's for everybody. We can take our game to another level. And I knew I was going to get this in at some point this morning, but just as the Leafs are about to do this week, as they go into the playoffs, taking their game to another level, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Someone said, you know, is it going to be Boston or, or, or Tampa Bay they face in the first round? I said, I don't care. They're going to, they're going to beat either one of them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, help us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I believe in miracles. I want you to know that this morning, because I believe in miracles... I'm wearing my Leaf socks right there, folks. Look at that. Come on now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How many this morning are ready to serve? Put your hands up. You're ready to serve. 
I, I just want you to, to hold that hand up to the Lord this morning. Just hold it up. Because I believe that in the next week, God's going to bring opportunity for you to serve. If you, if you have, you know, free nights to watch hours and hours of Netflix, you have time to serve. Just saying. If you can spend all night in Starbucks talking with your friends, you got time to serve. I mean, I could go on and on down the list, but you got time to serve. That's true. You need relationships, but you got time to serve. You could take those friends at Starbucks and go with them together and serve. That's what you can do. So, Father, we hold our hands up to you today, and we ask you, Lord, to show us where there's a need. Then give us, Lord, the grace to take responsibility for it, and then, Lord, to make ourselves accountable in it, so that, Lord, we are able to serve with clean hands and a pure heart. Father, I pray for the grace of God to rest on this house as we seek to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower us to serve you with uh, uh, no ulterior motive except to be your loving servants, loving you from the heart. Father, may we understand that you anoint those who serve and that, Father, you will pour out your grace and your anointing in greater measure the more deeply we serve. And that, Father, you will make available to us what we need uh, for every season and every situation. Father, we bless you today. We give you thanks and we glorify your name. And we say thank you, Jesus, for calling us to serve. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have an absolutely wonderful day. And we will see you next week.